This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Asaif, Kate Andrews and Fraser Nelson. This week, Rishi Sunak announced a £21 billion package when it comes to dealing with the cost of living crisis. This included a windfall tax, a decision that has split the Tory party, with many saying it goes against Tory values. So, has the Chancellor put the UK government and the country into a slippery slope? Let's go to Fraser to find out his first take. This was quite a moment for me, quite a depressing moment. I've always regarded Rishi Sunak as being a principled guy in a very difficult position. That He inherited lots of spending promises from Boris Johnson, and he had spoken about his intention to get the country on a path to lower taxation. His point was that to do that, you need to control the spending. He didn't want to put it on the deficit. I didn't quite agree with him there, but that was his intention. I think this week we've seen a different sort of Conservative Party. From what I gather in the Cabinet meeting, certainly, there is, you know, this isn't something we did with the regret. They were quite enthusiastic about the windfall tax. It's being framed in language. When I heard Rishi Sunak's speech, this was language which I just remember Labour coming out with, talking about good companies and bad companies, excess profits or extraordinary profits that you need to be taxed. You know, in volatile sectors, you get boom and bust. You get years where the energy companies have got making almost no money in good times that they make lots of it, but they try to even it out. But to move to this new concept that the Conservatives are there to take away uh, money from companies who've got the temerity to do well, that is dangerous language. And then, of course, last month, they put up taxes by 2.5%. Energy bills, a quarter of your electricity bill is green taxes, for example. So why not cut those taxes? Why not help people by not making their life difficult in the first place? But we've moved away from that. And rather than cut taxes, as Rishi Sunak suggested, he's imposing more of them with the idea that the government should increase taxation, but then decide who to give money to. Now, my overall concern is that these tactics borrowed from the Labour Party, the windfall tax, the energy price cap, etc., they tend not to work. But if the Tories say this is how you should run a country, then Labour is way more likely to prevail in the next election because voters will go for the real thing. So I'm finding it increasingly difficult now to hold out for the sort of policies that I was arguing for, you know, throughout the Gordon Brown years, throughout the David Cameron years, and now. The difference being that unlike Cameron, Boris Johnson's got a huge majority. So if he can't implement the kind of economic policies he thinks will work now, then when will they ever come? And I'm not sure that there's going to be much of a choice of the next election. Labour Party is, as far as opinion polls can work out, the party more trusted now by voters to lower taxes. And I can see why. You need to judge parties by what they do, not what they say. And what this Conservative government has done time and time again is raise taxes to a level not seen in our lifetimes. James, the Wall Street Journal runs a comment piece saying Boris Johnson goes Bernie Sanders, saying this week the decisions were you know, even worse than the Biden administration. Do you agree with Fraser that actually we're seeing a situation where by the time of the next election there'll be little reason not to vote Labour if you want the policies we're currently seeing? So I think you need to step back. 
but a second. The first How thing, many steps? Let's zoom out. Let's look at the bigger picture. If the government had taken no action, given the increase in energy bills, we would have a recession just because of the amount of money that would take out of consumer demand. So you, you had to step in to help people, not just on the moral grounds that you couldn't leave families struggling with bills of this size, but because the economy would have been tipped into recession if the government had done nothing. Once the government has decided to act, you then get into the question of, of how do you pay for it. Now, Fraser talked rightly about how the energy sector is a boom and bust sector. I think that what morally justifies a tax on their excess profits is that when they have been in a bust cycle, they have not been shy about getting and asking for help from the government. And I think you can't expect the taxpayer to take a one-way bet, where when these companies get into trouble, or the North Sea gets into trouble, you know, there is government assistance given, but when they're making extraordinary profits, not because of any investment they have made, but because Vladimir Putin has chosen to invade Ukraine, you know, they don't pay any extra tax. So I think that what you saw on Thursday strikes a pragmatic balance between the need to help households, not just on a moral basis, but on an economic basis to prevent the country from going into recession, but also to find some way of funding this that is fair and reasonable. And I also think it is worth noting that, you know, there is a very generous investment, and the Institute of Fiscal Studies says it is too generous, investment allowance in here. So that if these companies are investing in new exploration and the like, they are basically paying a minimal amount extra in tax. Kate, do you think this is a slippery slope for Ron? I mean, Rishi Sunak on Friday suggested that there could be more spending to come. Yeah, well, I think we've slipped and I think we're quite far down the hole now. I don't think we're on the way. Sure, we haven't landed at rock bottom, but it certainly feels like it. I'm definitely in Fraser's camp of, of feeling quite disappointed. I guess what horrifies me is what Fraser revealed in his Telegraph column, that the attitude around the cabinet table before these announcements came in was not, you know, we're sad and sorry that we have to bring in this windfall tax. Let's make sure that sunset clause comes in as soon as possible. It was something between, I'm going to keep silent and not say anything, to gung-ho, let's find out who else we can raid. And if the conservative government has that attitude towards business, any business, it just comes from a deeply socialist mindset. And I think it, it justifies the way that more left-wing economic policy would be crafted in this country. I think for me, I'm also just confused. We, we ran a cover in March 2021 after the chancellor's budget in which we said, you know, why is a Tory chancellor in the midst of a pandemic, freezing the personal tax threshold, hiking corporation tax? Why is he raising taxes? And, and we explained it. We said he is trying to hedge against inflation. It was a very clear perspective that the Treasury had. You know, it was a fiscally conservative one. It was, in my opinion, a responsible one. I understood what they were doing. But when I look at what's happened since between those tax hikes, also the windfall tax, also know the national insurance levy, I don't see any kind of comprehensive viewpoint anymore. I just see a government that's out of money and trying to find it wherever it can. And you can compare the windfall tax to the Thatcher and, and Lawson years and all the rest of it, or the how years you can say, well, look, you know, this has to be done for the longer term. But I have no idea what that longer term picture is now, because the elephant in the room, as we discussed a bit this week, is that this Tory government has zero interest in cutting spending no interest in cutting the size of the state. And when we've talked about tax 
takes in the past to get the budget in order, to get the finances in order, it's also come with shrinking the size of the state and making things more efficient. This government has zero interest in that. So I don't see a comprehensive Tory strategy to get the economy or our tax burden in a better place. I see desperation now. And I I find that very depressing. Fraser, it's clear that the government sometimes tries to cut spending, but then the pressure builds publicly and there is movement. How much of this is to do with a difference of opinion between Boris Johnson or Rishi Sunak? Or are they now the same thinking when it comes to sticking with what you describe as, you know, the tax and spend route? I think there is a big difference between them. And Boris Johnson is adamant he wants to stick to his spending. He's got HS2, he's got all sorts of projects which he wants to to cling to. But he'd be quite happy to go for deficit spending. In other words, cut taxes by increasing the national debt. This is anathema to Rishi Sunak, who says that Nova is completely irresponsible. Disappointingly for me, Rishi Sunak doesn't seem particularly bound by his manifesto pledge not to raise taxes. I guess it's a difference in approach here. Do you think these manifesto promises matter? I think they do a great deal. I think this is about trust in politicians and trust in politics. If voters are given a firm pledge by a party, that pledge ought to be honoured. Now, increasing national insurance, it would raise just a really small amount, like £6 billion. It was not needed, and yet the government still did that. But Rishi Sunak prioritised not putting up the deficit ahead of keeping his promises on taxation. I think that is injurious to trust in politics and certainly injurious to any Tory claim of being able to you know, have voters trust their promises next time. But we do see here two men with two red lines. Boris is overspending, Rishi Sunak is over debt. The combination of these two puts us onto this path of ever higher taxation. I mean, it wasn't just last month's national insurance increase. It wasn't just the windfall tax. We're going to get corporation tax moving steadily upwards. And as Kate says, the justification always changes. It's, you know, oh, we hate doing this tax rise, but it's a means to an end, and fundamentally we're going in the right direction. There comes a point where there are so many of these tax rises, each of them given a different justification, that you have to say, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck, and this is a big high-tax high-spending Conservative Party, and there comes a point where it becomes a bit naive to just think of it as anything other than that. So I'm beginning to be less inclined to give them the benefits of the doubt here. I mean, so many things jumped out to me. When I was researching my column, I found out, for example, that there are 5.3 million people in out-of-work benefits in Britain. That total has never quite been compiled by the government. But Sunak's talking in his speech about a tight labour market. Well, it wouldn't be tight if the government wasn't keeping so many people, the equivalent of the population of Scotland, on benefits, on out-of-work benefits. Now, forget the waste of money. This is a massive waste of human potential. And there was a time where the Conservatives would talk about that, would say, let's grow the economy by putting the skills, if you go back to use, they'd make it a big theme. And it actually worked in the Cameron years. Now we're getting back to the Gordon Brown era, where ministers congratulate themselves on low unemployment and talk about a tight labour market, we're almost airbrushing out of the conversation the five million people on out-of-work benefits. So what I see here is a really depressing slide into how politics was in 2009, before the Tories took over. And time and time again, it seems to be every juncture, every kind of crisis, because that's how you judge governments. What do they do when the backs are up against the wall? What this government does is raise taxes. 
James, it wasn't so long ago that Rishi Sunak was saying that every marginal pound going forward would be, you know, go towards cutting taxes, not spending. And of course, you can point to the pandemic, you can point to the war in Ukraine. But do you think realistic they're actually going to be able to do much of this agenda ahead of the next election? Surely there's always going to be a reason not to. I think a lot of it depends on how prolonged this cost of living squeeze is and how severe it is. You, when you've got the Bank of England governor, you know, it was obviously foolish to say it given his job, but I don't think he's that wrong when he talks about apocalyptic increases in food prices and the like. You know, if that does materialise, that is going to necessitate more support and that is going to make it harder to to have a fiscal headroom to, to cut taxes. And do you think the government will spend more in that case? I think the problem is this. If it is food and energy that are going up so much, you know, these are the basics of life, right? And I don't think that you can allow people to not be able to afford to heat their home or to eat. And if you get increases in food prices, like the increases in energy prices we've seen, that is going to affect people that's not just going to be the poorest 1% who are affected by those increases in, in food prices. That's going to go quite a way up the income scale. And that is going to push the government to do more, I think. I and mean, that, that is an inevitable consequence. But James, isn't the question you know, what, what more the government does? I mean, why not, for example, cut the green taxes of energy bills if you want to lower people's ener- energy? Why not cut the national insurance that they've just put up? It's the methods. Those green taxes fund contracts the government has signed. Unless the government is just going to unilaterally rip up contracts it's made with private companies, which I don't think it should, you are going to have to put those into... Gen- you can take them off the bills and put them into general taxation, right? Yes, why not? No, we, we, that would be a sensible move, right? But one the government isn't doing it is doing sort of Gordon Brown-style we are, rather than lower the burden on people, we're going to increase the burden, but choose who we give the money back to. It's a very sort of, everybody knows the government needs to act. Nobody denies that. The question is what methods they use to act. And the methods they're choosing are more resonant of a Labour government's tax and spend than of a Conservative government, which traditionally argues that you shouldn't really, you can help by not causing the problem in the first place. I think there is clearly an argument for moving those green levies off bills onto general taxation. You're also clearly right, Fraser, about it is a scandal that you've got 5 million people on out-of-work benefits when there are so many vacancies in today's labour market and everyone is talking about how tight the labour market is. Those are clearly things that you need to do. I think that what I think you can't get round is that in the current circumstances, the government has to offer more support. And then I think the question becomes, you know, do you attempt to in any way fund that support or not. I I personally think you have to find some way of trying to at least fund some of that support. And I think that the windfall tax announced this week, you know, is the least worst way of doing that. You you talk about government contracts, and I'm I'm not for ripping up contracts, but I do think a social contract has been undermined between companies and and government this week because the tax rate that they're carrying out, it's a surprise. I mean, I know they've been hinting at it, but the social contract they've broken is the idea that, you know, we all play into the system. We understand our role, but then otherwise, you know, our money is our own. And the government this week has again, made a a very socialist point, which is, no, actually, it's not. If we're in a tough place, we can come along and take it. 
And James, I, I agree with you that the government can't do nothing when energy and food are, you know, what's rising so rapidly. But we have a government that's decided it can only borrow and spend. And you would expect a conservative government to say, we can also cut spending and use that money to cut taxes. You know, we can get more money back in people's pockets. And Rishi Sunak was quite clear that, you know, these are going to be one-off direct top-ups, quite similar to a Biden stimulus check. And I suppose they're doing that because they don't want to have to commit long-term to anything. A tax cut would be a long-term commitment. You're not going to U-turn on a 1% or 2% income tax cut in a year's time. But I mean, that would be good. I cannot believe that we have a conservative government that isn't trying to figure out a way to lower the cost of living by committing to a longer-term tax cut. And this just seems completely off the table. The idea that there's nothing in government that we can cut to find this money. And the other thing I know, and it goes back to my point about confusion. And correct me if I'm wrong here, I I might have missed something in the past 24 hours. The windfall tax is going to cover roughly a third of the 15 billion additional pounds that Sunak has pledged to support. But the rest is not costed, is it? I mean, it's not obviously funded. This is a chancellor who for months and indeed years has been going on about the importance of not borrowing because of our inflationary environment or not borrowing too much or borrowing in a responsible way. So many of the justifications used to do difficult things just seem to have gone out the window this week. And so for me, it's not just about the frustration that we have yet another tax added by a Tory government with a big majority. It's what on earth am I supposed to think coming down the line next because they're changing their justification day in and day out depending on what seems popular in the polls sadly for james he's, <laughs> he's actually had to go to do something else so we saved can, by the bell maybe <laughs> saved by the bell so fraser I, I feel like you might have a different answer than what james would have said to that but we're, <laughs> we're gonna go to you anyway do you think there is any reason to believe this government is going to start to do not just i think cutting taxes but what you're talking about but having a real agenda or plan for growth Well, that's my big concern. I think that inflation is the problem now, but inflation will eventually dissipate. The real problem we've got over the next three to five years is that of growth. The Bank of England's estimates are absolutely dismal. They see Britain teetering on the brink of recession for years to come. And sure, you can do what Rishi Sunak has done, make a grab, make a tax raid, try to buy people over. But that's a short-term solution. The one he did in February, £9 billion, needed to be done again. Here we are in May. And they'll probably need to do it again, and eventually you'll run out of other people's money. That is a problem with this way of going. It doesn't affect any of the the root causes of this. You've got a government which is 55% bigger than it was under the Blair years. The sheer weight of that government, a burden which the country is carrying, is going to make it very difficult to get any kind of serious growth agenda. And if you get into a cycle of short-term solution after short-term solution, which I think the Tories are descending into now, then you do start to create problems longer term. Right now we need, for example, the oil and gas sector to be producing more energy, to be investing more, to be coming up with solutions to the energy crisis. They might feel less inclined to do that if they think to themselves that if they do anything that's successful, the government's going to come and take away more of their money. You saw investors already were dumping energy stocks in anticipation of the government's raids. So the people who need to be investing in this kind of new energy exploration and investment that we need, the investors are already moving away. Now, this is the sort of thing where conservatives used to say, I told you so. But when you start to use the language, the tactics and the thinking of your opponents, then you shouldn't be surprised if voters do just turn for the real thing in the next general election. 
And I can't quite see where the opposition comes from now. I can't quite see where the voices are going to be saying, look, there is another better way of doing this. So, you know, things might not be so bad. The effect in North Sea investment might not be as bad as I imagine it to be. But I don't see this as a long-term solution. This is a short-term tax grab and emergency spend. And I fail right now to see how the government can break out of this cycle. And just just a final point on that, Fraser, because some listening might say, well, if you look at the Tory manifesto in 2019, it was moving to a higher spend agenda. You had a situation when Boris Johnson told this magazine that he likened Cameron Osmond's austerity to drinking your own urine. And it did feel as though there was a shift. Now, you could have said at that point, that's what we're saying, when it came to the NHS, funding for the NHS, the Tories' economic plan, and then it's much harder to differentiate Labour and the Tories and that helped them win seats in the Red Wall. So it could be that this is just the path they've been going on for, or do you think it's a broken tax promise that's a problem? Well, pre-2019, it looked different. We didn't anticipate the cost of living crisis. That has changed everything. And the cost of living crisis is now the central factor of British politics. So they could have argued, well, you know, we promised to do all of this extra spending, but actually now this looks unaffordable because the country's taxed as much as it can take, really. People don't have any more money to give the government, so we're going to go easy on government spending and we're going to slim down the state. That was one response. But instead they chose to jump the other way, which is to increase taxes. To govern is to choose, and we can now see the Tory choice. And you're right, Katie, there's also an argument that do we see the evolution of big state conservatism to represent the red wall seats which are now responsible for the Tory majority. And again, that's a choice. Do you think people in the north of England voted Tory because they wanted more spending and more taxation and basically Labour policies by another name? Or do you think they were open for a new conversation about a new political settlement? I was more inclined towards the latter, but it seems the government wants to dispense the former. And this argument, sort of without really thinking about it, has already happened. The decision, to my mind, the worst decision, to subsidise the wealthy and to cut their um, care home costs at the expense of the average taxpayer, that was a real breaking point for me. And that was the point where I thought the Conservatives were really out there to really increase spending to protect the acidocracy, the kind of people with high assets, the elderly, the older people who tend to vote Tory in the first place. There was a moment to, I think, genuinely for this government to be a party of reform. I now think that moment has passed and we're not going to get much reform. We're going to see it staggering along for the next couple of years until the general election. I hope that I'm wrong, but I'm feeling pretty despondent after the events of this week. I just think it shows huge weakness that they have ditched the parts of their manifesto and their agenda that would have been reform that would have been groundbreaking and they've kept to the spending. So I think you make an excellent point, Katie, that it's difficult to say that you voted for, ushered in this conservative government without knowing that they were going to put more, say, behind the NHS. That's a it's a very good point. They didn't hide the fact that they planned to spend a bit more. But there was also talk of serious planning reform and getting more young people on the housing ladder. There were pledges in there, and not just manifesto pledges, but I thought like a real philosophy that they did not want this to be an even higher tax burden country. And when things have gotten tough, they've decided to throw those free market, genuinely conservative agenda pieces under the bus. And they've stuck with what I think is the easier and weaker option of just trying to spend their way out of problems. So I think it's a point of, in the words of Margaret Thatcher, weak and feebleness more than anything else. But Kate, 
It's also possible that the kind of liberal, classic liberal policies that the spectator has tended to argue for, the kind of policies that you and I tend to favour, has simply lost its constituency. There's not much appetite for them in the Conservative Party or the country. So perhaps what we're seeing this week is simply the sight of people on our side of the argument losing the argument. No, I agree. And I, I do think we're quite alone in the world right now. However, Fraser, to your point about manifestos and broken promises, the Tory party did suggest that they were closer to some of those beliefs than they've ended up being. I guess that would be my point. They've, when it's become difficult to make the counterintuitive, but I think fundamentally right argument, that's where they faltered. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Fraser. And a belated thank you to James Forsyth. He was no longer with us. <laughs> He's not dead. <laughs> R.I.P. Thank you for listening. Thank you.